Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Claire Frank is my guest for this episode, and Claire and I had a lot of fun during our conversation. So did the landscaping equipment that was busy at work during the first part of our conversation. My apologies for the background noise. My editor has done an incredible job of trying to reduce it. And if you hang tight, you'll see that it drops off and disappears after a short while. Thanks for your understanding, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Claire Frank. Today, my guest is Claire Frank. Claire served as the state of California's first and only female chief of fire protection. She began firefighting at age 17 and worked her way through the ranks, handling all type of fire and rescue emergencies and major disasters in both urban and rural settings. Along the way, she earned a bachelor's in fire administration, a law degree and a bar card, and a master's in creative writing. Most recently, she is the author of Burnt, a memoir of fighting fire. She lives near Lake Tahoe with her husband and always a dog or two. Welcome, Claire. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here and I'm really excited to talk about your memoir. So can you share a bit about your memoir, Burnt, for those who have not yet read it? Sure, I, I'll give you like the, the elevator pitch thing, which is the book chronicles my 30 years in the fire service in California. And it has lookbacks into my, let's call it colorful childhood, that helps explain why firefighting became my, my purpose, really my calling, despite the fact that I looked nothing like what a firefighter was supposed to look like at the time. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who has not met you or seen you in person, can you kind of share a little bit about your stature and why you say that? Uh, sure, yeah. So, um, <laughs> You know, Pippi Longstocking was like one of my favorite characters when I was a kid because I looked a little bit like her with freckles and braids. And I was 5'2 at the time I started firefighting. And I had these these things called ovaries, which um, <laughs> <laughs> which many did not have. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I'm so excited to talk about that as well because, and I'm actually, I can feel my mind, my squirrel brain going everywhere because there's so many different things I want to ask you about. But I guess let's start with some craft talk, which, you know, and then we'll get into the actual history of you a little bit. But when you were setting out to write this book, and there's so much to include in a memoir and to figure out what stays, what goes but what elements were especially important to you to capture so one would be my relationship with with fire in terms of it kind of feeling like my destiny at some point it was just a really natural fit for me to get involved in the profession so that was important for me to share and along with that like on a more macro level um, the idea of following your passion no matter you know, you listen to your inside voice instead of other people's outside voices to, to build your own box and don't live in a box somebody else built for you. And then two other things. One's kind of related, which is uh, there's a gap on the bookshelves in terms of female career craft memoir. Um, there's, there's very few of them, so it was hard to find comps. And I'm curious about that. Yeah, so like I just kept going to bookstores and I mean, well, there's there's got to be you know female career craft memoir, and there really there were a few female chefs that wrote their story that would 
were their own writers, not ghost writers, and there were most of the sports figures and military women they had companion writers or ghost writers. Mm-hmm. And so like one comp that I used and found was Caitlin Doty. I don't know if you're familiar with her work. She wrote she's a uh, mortician. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so she was my comp and, <laughs> and she, yeah, because she just wrote it herself and she wrote about the passion that she had with dealing with death and dying and and making that her passion. So that was that was something I wanted to do was add at least one more book on the bookshelves. Yeah. And actually that's so funny because when you were approaching agents and trying to market your book and you offered that comp, did you ever get any pushback or did you ever get any, were any of your rejections about the fact that there wasn't much like this out there and that there might not be an interest? Or can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So there wasn't, none of the rejections uh, had any problems with my comps. Like I gave them that one. I gave them um, an ambulance driver who's a fantastic writer. His name's Kevin Hazard. Um, he was he was a paramedic in Atlanta for like 10 years and then then I just kind of went down a, like a Mary Roach I, I used her as an example for for my I guess technical sense of humor you know mm, like yeah. I'm, I'm writing about true things in a technical way but I see it with this kind of jaded yeah <laughs> yes lens yes <laughs> Yeah. So then when you think about the rejections you got, do any stand out in particular? Or was there anything that as a now published memoirist helped you take heart or you are happy that you disproved? You know, because those listening are people who love memoirs, but also people working on memoirs or even people who are querying. And is there anything that stands out in your journey to getting published that you think would be interesting? Well, I'm I'm thinking because I got an agent in pretty short order, but, and we can explore this and go down this rabbit hole later. It was for a different manuscript. So I got my agent with a different manuscript that she said she couldn't get published, so she wanted me to write about fire. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. So, so you're <laughs> saying that she appreciated you as a writer and your, you know, your take and your voice, et cetera, but she didn't think the book could sell under her auspices? Right. Interesting. So what, what was your reaction to that? Well, at first I tried to. So, so the initial manuscript was about this little this period in my career uh, where I went through a police academy. I was I was 45 years old going through a rookie police academy because the fire department was going to put me in charge of the arson cops. Mm-hmm. And I took really great voice notes throughout mm-hmm. the academy. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be so, so spot on. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote the manuscript and she, we, we got on the phone. She's like, look, I really, I really like your voice, but I can't sell this. Um, this was before George Floyd mm-hmm. happened. And there was still kind of this like sentiment that, that, um, it wasn't, you know, pro police, but it also wasn't anti-police. It was just mm-hmm. a discussion of my experience with the training. Mm-hmm. And she said, look, nobody wants to go through a police academy. 
<laughs> you mean no one wants to be no, on your shoulder like, right? while you do it? She's like, you're doing push-ups every day. Nobody wants to do that. I can't sell this. <laughs> so, so I said, I tried to argue with her. I'm like, well, nobody wants to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, but look at what Cheryl Strand did. And she said, no, darling. Everyone wants to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. Oh, it's just that most of us can't arrange it. <laughs> This is interesting because it sounds like you and your agent had an interesting, like you, you sort of uh, weren't afraid or cowed by what your agent was telling you. No, I thought I could actually manipulate her. And, and the thing that I love about her is she's so straightforward. She's very New York, you know, she's like, oh no, oh no, this is cute, but no. Oh, so interesting. So, so did she have you shelve that or did you have to manipulate that? Well, she tried at first, she tried to talk me into making it. It it was very, you know, again, I wanted a career, female career centric memoir. I did not want a childhood memoir. So she said, look, if we, you have some interesting childhood bits in here, can we put that, like make that the A story and put the police academy as as the B story? And I said, no, I don't want to write a childhood memoir. She says, well, what else are you working on? And I had just started kind of outlining. I used NaNoWriMo as my, mm-hmm. you know, my, my jump start. And I had, it was, um, we were just through November. So I had this outline of what is, what is now burnt. And so I told her about that. And she said, well, you just write that. I'll sign you for that. <laughs> oh my God. Sorry, but this just sounds a little bit like a dream. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that writing is easy or that these decisions are are fun to make. But how lovely! And actually, before I should hit a pause so that you can explain NaNoWriMo. I know what it is, but there may be some listeners who don't. Okay, so it's the National Novel Writing Month that happens every November, um, where it's just kind of very. It's a, you. You can cop out on your life if you tell your your significant other and your friends and your your family members hey it's NaNoWriMo I'm just gonna be working on my book all month I will uh pop in for Thanksgiving and that's it (laughs) okay I hadn't thought of that I'm gonna try it I did did sign up once but I was like I don't have anything to write and so I stopped so I'll have to do that next time now I also have to come back and ask you about childhood memoirs let's talk about this you know I'm a childhood memoir writer but that doesn't mean that's the only memoir I might write but tell me and no judgment tell me about your disinterest in that in writing that I will read them all day long. I did not want to write one for two reasons. One, my sister also writes, is working on her memoir, and hers is a childhood memoir. And she started her memoir before I started mine. So I'm like, oh, she kind of claimed claimed that space, and I'm going to respect that. Um, to the extent that we had different perspectives or different experiences because we were different ages and, and are different people. I feel free to tap in every now and then when it's not something that I feel like is is within her realm. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm protecting her space, and then also I really was important to me to do this career female career mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. because there aren't any. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's as if and I, and I put this in an author letter that my agent asked me to write or my publisher asked me to write, and I said it's as if females don't have interesting enough careers. And so then I put in the letter, the fuck we don't. So 
much. <laughs> so that's why I wrote the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad we talked about that. Um, now, when it comes to your manuscript, was there anything in particular that you felt like protecting or preferred not to share? Not, not really. The It was more about it being um, space constrained because it's a 30, 30 year career. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that I did do a f- some, some look backs to childhood, you know, then, then you're well into 50 years. So mm. it wasn't that I was intentionally avoiding anything. I was just trying to keep it focused on what, kind of what we talked about earlier, the elements that were important to me. Mm-hmm. And you do really take the reader into this whole world that I, I know nothing about, really, except peripherally. And, you know, I was recently in California, and I kept thinking of you and your work and the work of firefighters. <laughs> and I kept thinking, I was already thinking about how, you know, this past spring, there was so much rain in California. Are you in California now, or are you in another state? I'm in another state, but I can basically throw a rock. Okay. So, you know, they had all that rain. And I I know this from previous years, not just now, but, and you can correct me where I'm wrong, but the great, wonderful, everything is verdant and lush, but then that's more fuel for when things dry out. So I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about the work that you did and just the whole career that you had. And, and it sort of like permeated my mindset a bit, which I, maybe you're happy to hear because you kind of came along with me. On I, I, I love this. Thank you for, for saying that because I, I definitely feel you change one mind at a time, right? Or you bring to somebody's consciousness, you know, a problem that they weren't aware of before one, one mind at a time. Yes. So thank you for yes. saying that. No, no, thank you for writing this book and for offering that look. So as a writer, and I know you've done so many things in your life, so many careers, and you've, you've achieved a, a high level at the, the different areas in your life that you've pursued. So as a writer, what came pretty easily to you when working on this memoir? And where do you feel you had to push yourself to work harder or go a little further? Oh, great question. Uh, so I would say what came easy is that I, I brought a lot of experience with me. So I didn't writer's block is not a thing for me. Like I, yeah, there is no blank screen that I can't immediately fill with years of, of comments and, um, stories. So that, that part's pretty easy for me. And then I think the other part that was pretty easy for me, I was, I was so, I put off my writing desire to write until I retired from firefighting, uh, because I'm the type of person that kind of goes all in mm-hmm. And so I knew I yeah, would Yeah, I gathered that. <laughs> <laughs> You're astute. <laughs> so, so I put it off. So I was so excited to just jump in that I really embraced all aspects of it. So a lot of writers are like, well, I like doing the stream of consciousness thing and getting my ideas down, or but I hate editing, or I hate the researching. or I embraced every part of it because I just had put it off for so long that I just, Mm. oh, this is fun and this is fun and this is fun. and um, So those were the easy parts. And then the second part was uh, where I had to push myself. So I think it happened, so some of it was in subject matter oriented, was this like this childhood element of how much I could put in and still be true to what I wanted to do and not stepping on um, my sister's work and how to make that 
kind of seamless because again it was already 30 years but I felt like a little backstory mm-hmm. was appropriate so figuring out how to put that into my structure mm-hmm. was um, was a heavy lift for me but I, I'm happy with how it ended up mm-hmm did you have a lot of input from your editor or your publisher about how you handled that and how to weight it, like where to put the flashbacks or the backstory and where not to? Did anyone ask you for more or less? Yes. So initially the book was structured. So there's seven parts to the book. Initially I had structured it around uh, the sacraments, the Catholic sacraments. Ah, interesting. And so each one of those was a childhood story about how I completely effed up, you know, baptism from baptism to to last rites. Um, mm. And so, but my publisher, my my agent liked it, but my publisher thought it was too forced and that it was kind mm. of a separate deal. So asked me to restructure restructure it, and I had to in order to save some of the stories which he liked. I had to weave those into the broader narrative mm-hmm. and focus on childhood stories that match the new structure, which is the lifespan of a fire. Ah, uh, right. Did you have an easy pivot when you switched structure? Did you bang your head against the wall? How, how was that for you? I, um, have you heard the term embrace the suck? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So that's what I, like, I, it was a total bang my head against the wall, but I enjoyed it. Like, it was like, okay, I'm going to make this work. Yeah. And I'm going to figure it out. And I just, like, was walking laps. I had this little, like, path around my house. And I would just walk laps and go, okay, I can make it about different fire tools. Or maybe the uniform, start with Mm -hmm. the helmet and go down to the boots. right? And I would just brainstormed ideas with my brother who you learn in the book is also a firefighter yes. and I followed and um, I don't remember how long it took, but like by within a month I had this new structure and I was off and running. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in a sense it's an embarrassment of riches because there are so many ways you can dive into a book, right? I mean, we do knock our head against the wall, but it's also, there's so many, there's countless ways that we can structure something right? if we really open our minds and that can be really confounding. It's also like, it's exciting, but it's also tough. And I know for myself, and I brought it up on this show before, structure kind of saves me. Once I have my structure, I feel so happy. It's like my suitcase. Totally. And then I know where everything's going, and then I can <laughs> relax a little bit. Um, but I don't know if everyone else feels that way. I think maybe some people are more playful than I am. I'm a little bit, you know, I, I need to know. You know, I need well, to know. I'm, I'm like you. I write into structure. So I spend a lot of time front-loading structure Mm -hmm. and then I pick the vignettes from my life that will fit into the structure I've built Mm -hmm. instead of writing the vignettes first and then moving them around yeah 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 and you know I think it's also lovely because you have this time now in retirement to do a lot of writing is that accurate that's accurate yeah, yeah, I mean, how lovely. I'm blessed, um, yeah. Right, yes, but you worked yeah. so hard. I mean, and also some people work better under the gun, you know, so to speak. So, okay, here's another question, and then I'm going to ask you to read that excerpt we talked about. Okay. Okay, writers in the family, having people who create in the, kind of the same genre as you or similar, 
um, and and your brother, you know, to have two sisters who are writing memoirs, <laughs> your poor brother. Um, but um, but how how does your what was the reception to your book, you know, in your family? So the sister who's a writer, that's um, Tara Bisbee, mm-hmm. and she's been so supportive. And um, just again, I can talk to her about writing, and it's hard to find people that get really jazzed about talking craft. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, so she she's that part, and then my brother, um, who this was really a shared life with him, so it was mm-hmm. inevitable he was going to be in it. I checked with him very early on. I'm like, because he's more private than me. Mm-hmm. But everything that I wrote about him, I like, I highlight. I said, you don't have to read the whole manuscript, but here's where you appear in it, and are you okay with how I portrayed you? Um, I got his. It was really important to me that he would be okay with living, you know, in in my story. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I loved I loved the scenes where he appears. I ended up thinking, oh, is he going to be there? Are they going to see each other? <laughs> I just thought it was so sweet and and unusual, right, to have two firefighters in the family. Very unusual for brother-sister especially. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So can you read from Annie's Ashes? Yes. Okay. okay and you can set it up too. Because... I'll set it up, yeah. yeah. So the setup here is this is late in my career. I'm um, about to take the chief of fire protection job behind my boss, whose name is Andy. And so I'm talking about Annie, my sister, and Andy. So I'm just going to call my sister Anne so it's not quite as confusing. Mm-hmm. And Andy is and I are traveling to Arizona for this national meeting on wildfires. And it's in the aftermath of the 19 firefighters dying in Arizona, the Granite Mountain hotshots. And just a few weeks earlier, I had been in Arizona because my sister Anne had passed away. So I was also going there to pick up her ashes. So this starts off with me asking Andy if he could cover the morning meeting for me, and I'm getting in my car at dawn uh, to go pick up the ashes. The next morning... The sun peeked over the horizon as I deposited my backpack in the rental car's seat and climbed behind the steering wheel. The passenger door opened. Andy ducked his head in. Andy, what's going on? I asked, wondering why he was up this early. He loaded in and buckled up. This isn't something you let a friend do alone, he said. It put a lump in my throat that lasted for 60 miles. Andy rode beside me silently, letting me sip my road coffee and drive with my thousand-yard stare into the past. I'd picked up a sister's ashes before. I knew what to expect. Remains that fit inside a box about the same size as a folded fire shelter. With my oldest sister Kathy's, I'd felt a general sense of sadness, but also relief for her and the rest of us. She'd tried a million ways to make life work and kept gravitating back to broken. Picking up her ashes was an act of closure. With Anne, I felt part of me was gone. Andy and I stopped for sodas, got back in the car, and spent the second half of the drive talking religion. He was a born-again Christian with deep faith in the New Testament and passage recall almost as good as Dad's. I had bad recall, 
but a broad read of spiritual texts and travel to religious places. We tossed theories back and forth until we landed on a spot of complete agreement. We gain, not lose, significance once we turn to dust. It put me in the right mindset to pick up Anne. Welcome. Welcome to Angel Valley Funeral Home and Crematory, a man said in a syrup-slathered whisper, the kind of fake verbal hug responsible for keeping me far away from yoga studios. The man seemed so very tired of his painted-on half-smile. I told him my name, and he went to the back to collect Anne for me. He returned with an aqua paper bag outfitted with white twine handles. Here she is, he said. I took the bag. She weighed less than Kathy. I paid and walked to the door. Before I pushed it open, I spun around. How hot? What temperature did they use? He hesitated, fighting off a look of surprise. Why would she ask such a question? Poor girl. His face fell into an authentic expression. He finally looked sorry for me. Just under 2,000 degrees, he said in his real voice. I stared at him. That was less than the heat that had consumed the Granite Mountain hotshots. He must have felt compelled to fill my blank stare. So he fed me more. Only the bones are left. Everything else gets vapor. He stopped himself. Vaporized? Makes sense at that temp. Thanks. I raised Annie in her Easter-colored bag as a wave goodbye and walked out the door. Hey there, Annie Banani, I said before zipping her inside my backpack and placing her in the back seat with a double tap, a way to tell her. I got you. I always have you. Let's ride, I said to her and Andy. Andy had switched to the driver's seat, but otherwise our trip back was a repeat. Silence for the first half, then soda and God for the second. Thank you. Uh, so good to hear you read that. I enjoyed reading it myself, but to hear you read your work is something else. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. I was wondering what was important to you in depicting the many different firefighters you worked with in your career and the relationships you built there, because there were so many that you worked with. I mean, most of your coworkers and superiors and inferiors were men. So was it a challenge at all to try to sort of give a sense to the reader of the different personalities? Yeah, so that was something that I was very concerned about was like typically or if you read a fiction book, right, you have this cast of characters and it, it can only be so many or it's it's too busy. Mm-hmm. But in, in nonfiction, spanning a 30-year period, you know, it's really difficult. So... I had to, um, th- there were things that were important to me. First of all, like when I said that I, when I write into structure, the the memories that came up were kind of interesting to me. I'd, I'd start a chapter and the, the characters that I wrote about were partially the construct of the muse. I'm like, oh, I'm surprised I'm writing about this person. But apparently they had, you know, more of an impact on me than I thought or... Um, I hadn't already written a like character, 
you know, because mm. it's, it's easier to lump all firefighters together, you know, handsome, handsome men mm. with mustaches, you know, that, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the case for some, but certainly not all. Um, but just catching, capturing these different characters that you not only work with, but live with was, um, was the challenge in trying to give the reader that sense of the variety that you would encounter in the firehouse. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. And, you know, the other part about the men that, that I want to touch on is it doesn't, for me at least, come up in the book, but you worked with so many men, and I wondered if I wondered as I read it if you would ever feel fear because of being so outnumbered, like in a sexual way or in a threatened way. But I didn't encounter that in your memoir. I just never felt like you felt threatened that way. And I mean, I, I definitely felt that you needed to prove yourself and you worried that you wouldn't be up for the task, et cetera, your safety. But was it truly like that for you as you were living it that you never really felt sexualized in a dangerous way? No, never. I was never in fear of that. There, the fear was more like, like I, and, I, and I wrote a chapter on this, like, what do you wear to bed at night? Because the guys are all wearing their skivvies and like what I'm like I don't I had no model to follow and I wasn't you know they they strip down to their underwear and take their t-shirts off and I'm not doing that Mm -hmm. um so that that was just more of like an insecurity fear but I was never in fear that of sexual assault there were some weirdos that you just kind of go all right they're they're a problem but everyone sees it it's not just the women you know Mm -hmm. you, you can tell who um needs more work in their life Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) well it felt like in some ways and I don't want to you know I don't want to sugarcoat it but it kind of felt like a a family I mean it it felt like I know there were actual real struggles and dangers and worries and people you know had divorce and drug problems and depression and all that but so many of the scenes are also of the camaraderie Yes, and I would I would say it's family and all that's you know in in all that means with mm-hmm. bonds and closeness and um, you know putting your your life on the line for someone or being willing to and at the same time you know all of the dysfunction and the habits that bother you and <laughs> you know so it, yes family and all of its in all of its spectrum. Mm-hmm. And on the same subject of women and misogyny, there was that little excerpt that I had sent you from page 227. It was just the paragraph. Um, You wrote about the role that women play in firefighting and the misogyny that has existed in in, in your chosen field. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you would like to read that paragraph about that starts with I fear the precipice. Yeah, sure. Um, And the setup here is that I'm uh, considering applying for a fire chief job for a municipal department in the Bay Area. And uh, so I go on a run, and this is kind of what's going on in my head as I'm, as I'm running to clear my head and try to come up with an answer. Hmm. I feared the precipice. As one of only a few females wearing division chief collar brass, like it or not, a failure would impact women firefighters below me. A fall from the height of chief would be, and I told you so, no place for women. If I don't climb to the top of the tower, I can't fall from it, and I can't hurt anyone, I thought. But opting out had repercussions too. If I don't even try for a job, I'm pretty sure I can crush. The trail clearing slows, waits for someone else, while I help adhere a glass ceiling into place. 
Thank you. And I don't know how long it's been since you last, you know, touched this section of the book and how many years have passed, but I was hoping to get your reflections on this and and maybe either on on what you just read or this extra question which is that you you achieved so much in your career. You leaned so fully into it and it it's in the book it's clear that you didn't want children. You found love with Bud who appears throughout the book. So do you feel that beyond your personal safety fighting fires, you had to sacrifice anything because of your gender? No, no. I, I think those, that was a choice that I made. I would not have made. It was, it was good for um, God to direct me into firefighting. It, would, it made me a great commander and supervisor, mm-hmm. but I, I would have made a really crappy mother. <laughs> you know, I, I, would, I would have written my kid up and, <laughs> you know, um, so that, and it was just not something I never really grew up wanting. Um, mm-hmm. so I don't feel that I, that I gave up motherhood or, or anything based on my gender, all my sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And there were plenty of sacrifices would apply to all the genders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then this last section that I wanted to talk about is really about, the state of our world in ecology you write about a saying you'd heard how anyone's fire is everyone's fire in california and that quote it's become bigger than that now anyone's fire is everyone's fire in the west and beyond if we want our future generations to know what a forest is if we want breathable air and fatality reduction we need to stop pretending fire is an unpredictable disaster and that's the end of that section so what work in revision, if any, did you need to do to strike the tone and find the balance in your book about fire management and the way we as a world or country, you know, approach fire and, you know, like that idea of like educating your reader, but also not hitting them over the head. Was that ever an issue for you? Well, yeah, th- this is a, this is a great question because I didn't know how I was going to end the book and uh, I ended it prematurely and then these fires kept coming Hmm. and the smoke was filling up the valley that I had moved like I left California to to Mm -hmm. like quit fire cold turkey you know and get away from it and I felt like the smoke was following me and um the fires were too big of a deal to not write about if I'm gonna write this book about fire and I have this platform um to say it and now was the time to to do that and I so I changed the end of the book and to include all the fires and to really have a discussion that wasn't like exactly what you said that still felt like it was part of the book and part of the tone without being like a a, a, a tutorial Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then I had to change the ending again when we had to evacuate her house Mm -hmm. because a fire was coming towards it so it was important for me to include all that and it was like the time that the book needed to like the book found its own ending yeah 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 Yeah, you know I just interviewed um I just interviewed Abigail Thomas and and I will uh I will paraphrase what she said which was if you end the book if your book ends the exact way you you expected it to then you probably haven't necessarily done your work or you know that's not a good sign again 100 percent. i'm yeah. paraphrasing but yeah. to be surprised by the ending is probably really good yes i yeah. i agree wholeheartedly with her yeah so what memoirs would you recommend or that that held a special place for you as you became a memoir writer 
so the I think the memoir that really triggered, I always knew I wanted to write, but I think the memoir that really triggered my interest in writing memoir, or the kind of memoir that I wanted to write, was Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential. Mm. Because he's an unlikely writer. I mean, he was in the restaurant business, and he, he nobody knew he had this writing side to him. So I just thought, gosh... I wonder if I could do like mm-hmm. Firehouse Confidential, you know, <laughs> without it being like a tell-all, you know. <laughs> so, um, it, so I and I really enjoy his voice. Um, so I'd say he was he was a mainstay, and then other mainstays like the classic Liars Club by Mary Carr mm-hmm. and Glass Castle, and um, even in essay form, I'd say Ann Patchett's "This Is the Story of a Happy Marriage," mm-hmm. um, but in kind of the more indie indie list of people that and memoirs that really influenced how I looked at writing memoir would be and you had her on your program with Suzanne Roberts yes yes um, well, that's how we connected because she really encouraged yeah. me to read your book and so that was a lovely connection well and and her book has fire in it too animal yes. bodies um yes. Which is a lovely, and, and again, that that one takes an essay form. So memoir and all these different forms. And the other one is Benjamin Bush uh, wrote a book called Dust to Dust. And the, the structure, the way he structured it was kind of these little arcs. Um, boyhood as a soldier, after soldiering. Boyhood, mm-hmm. so, you know, so the structure was fascinating and his story was fascinating. He's a fantastic writer. Um, so th- those are that uh, along with the Caitlin Doty and Kevin Hazard that I mentioned yes. so yes. I'll add those as well into the show notes so anyone can check these out pretty easily um, and then do you have any last advice last words of advice you would like to share with writers working on their memoirs so I'd say like I'm at the the, the point of this where I, if, I, if I had gave one takeaway it would be right Write a story. Well, I guess it has two points. Write a story that you're proud of. And um, write a story that you won't get sick of. Because you're going <laughs> to... You're, you're going to have to keep reading that? it. <laughs> you, should, you should find some sense of joy when you're um, going back to read like the excerpts like you had me do today. You should, you should yeah. go. So if you, you really find yourself cringing as you're reading your manuscript aloud to, you, to yourself during editing, don't, then that's not good. <laughs> you should still find something, yes. some joy, some yes. mystery. Yes, yes, yes. Um, okay. And then lastly, Claire, where can people most easily find you? Oh, um, uh, on my website, therealclairefrank.com. Okay. Is there Easy. a not real Claire Frank? Well, there's another Claire Frank, but she's like a physical therapist. No, she's okay. a doctor. And yeah, I think she's getting a lot of hits since my book came out. Oh, wow. Well, I just love this conversation and I'm so glad we had the chance to talk. And thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you, Rooney. I really appreciated this. Hey, memoir fam. Audible Books has partnered with Let's Talk Memoir to offer Let's Talk Memoir listeners a 30-day free trial of Audible. I listen to Audible Books when I'm driving, when I'm walking the dogs, 
when I'm cleaning up the house or folding laundry, all those times I can't use my hands and eyes to read memoirs and other books, I'm listening to them. It's a great way to keep on learning and taking in stories even when I can't turn pages. So if you would like to check out Audible, if you haven't yet done that, you can do so for free for the first 30 days. Go to www.audibletrial.com slash Let's Talk Memoir. That's www.audibletrial.com slash Let's Talk Memoir. Thank you, Audible, for being a Let's Talk Memoir partner. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here.